And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. to the Straight from the Source podcast uh, here from Little Caesars Arena. This is uh, Michael Russo. Happy to be joined by Fox Sports North, Anthony Alpanta, third time. Uh, Noe has been a repeat guest. You're on for three times, Anthony. That's great. I feel like I'm among the elite. (laughs) Uh, Dan Balsma is putting the scratches for the Red Wings wild game tonight uh, through a little uh, test two rows in front of us. So uh, hopefully we don't get killed by a puck here. Uh, figured it add a little charm to hear some rattling pucks against the post and the glass and things like that. Um, wanted to get Anthony on because uh, earlier in the week I did a podcast. Uh, well, actually, I did a live Q&A with Wes Walls, and it was kind of a, a pre-trade deadline preview, and a lot's happened since the last time Anthony and I were on together. Uh, obviously, the trade deadline passed with the Wild going with the status quo. Uh, at least explored the possibility of trading Zach Parisi to the New York Islanders. Bruce Boudreau has been fired, and Jason Zucker has been traded since the last time Anthony and I talked. Uh, where so do you want to start? A couple things going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where do you want? And here we are, the Wilder uh, three points out of a out of a playoff spot, uh, coming into two very winnable games. I mean, they could put themselves right back in the thick of things here. I think that's the interesting part of all of it is that, and Bill Guerin has said it from the beginning that makes no bones about it. He expects this team to push for a playoff spot. And, I mean, you can look at the club, and I think a lot of times you'd look and say, boy, it doesn't, the the lineup, the roster doesn't look like a playoff team necessarily. But I agree with Bill. I mean, when you look around the Western Conference right now, why not the Wild? There's, there are, everybody that's in front of them, the Wild have games in hand when you compare them and the way they're playing right now. 
they're playing as well as anybody in the Western Conference and, and have been for a really a long stretch. It's, it's crazy if you go back and eliminate just the first two weeks of the season. The Wild would be right now sitting comfortably in a playoff spot. It's amazing how long they've maintained this. They're starting to get some goaltending and, you know, things, you just, who knows? I mean, the, when you look around, you mentioned the fact they, stand, they decided to stand pat at the deadline. Almost the whole Central Division did. Central Division only made seven trades on deadline day compared to the other three divisions were 19, 17, and 15. And three of the seven were the Blackhawks selling pieces. Everybody just decided, you know what, kind of like what we have. And I don't know, I think it's going to be a really interesting stretch run. And it's been fun. I've enjoyed watching the way Bill Guerin has managed this roster so far. It is interesting here because uh, you look at, this, the standings right now and the schedule coming up for the Minnesota Wild. Um, you have these back-to-back games against Detroit, the worst team in the league, and Columbus, a team that's ravaged by injuries. If the Wild could take care of business, obviously they come home for a tough game against the Washington Capitals. But you got Nashville coming up next, who the Wild are directly chasing for a playoff spot. I think it's the first of three meetings still. Two or three, definitely, with the, with the Nashville Predators. Those games are going to be absolutely mammoth. And then they go out to California and play the three worst teams in the conference. Um, this is just a huge two weeks that you got to take care of business. We talked about it on our broadcast for the Columbus game at home prior to this trip to Detroit. And at that point, a two-week stretch was starting where at the end of the two weeks, all the games at hand were going to be made up. The Wild were playing eight games in two weeks. The other teams were all four, five, six. So at the end of that two-week stretch, which ends with the California trip that you just mentioned, all the, the the games will be roughly even, and of those eight games, the Wild play one game against a team that was in the top three in their division, and that's the Capitals game at home on Sunday night. The other seven are against teams that are outside the top three in their respective division. All the other teams are playing much more rigorous schedules during that stretch, and I, you're right. This will be the defining stretch of the schedule, I believe, for Minnesota. If they, at the end of these two weeks, they if they're going to be a playoff team, I believe they have to be inside the playoff picture at the end of these two weeks. The um, it is it is pretty unbelievable that they are still into it when you when you consider the the goaltending that this team has had, their special team struggles the year. Um, I think what it does tell you is that this team's a lot better team than than a lot of people probably give it credit for, and that if you were just getting improvement on both those areas that they could be well comfortably into a playoff spot defensively no question and they've scored more this year than I think almost anybody would have expected we've seen some young guys make strides I mean every single one of those guys you know Luke Cunning out of the lineup right now with an injury but Kevin Fiala has been better than he was last year Ryan Donato has been better than he was last year Jordan Greenway has been better than he was last year I think with all of those guys it's we've seen some improvement the team defensive structure has been there most of the season when you look at the fact that they still give the high the lowest high danger chances in the league for the season which is amazing in spite the penalty kill has been an issue and you know their goaltending hasn't been as good as it's been in previous years started to get goaltending lately right now Alex Stalock's on a roll he's seven two and one in his last ten and they've decided to ride him a little bit more than in previous seasons which I like so uh, yeah I mean Bill, Billy, we did a deal where he was talking in front of some season ticket holders the other afternoon, and he just said, you know, I looked in our, went to our room and looked at the guys and said, well, why not us? Why can't it be us? Why can't we be the one that goes on a little bit of a run here prior to the playoffs? And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think there's 
there's nobody that you look at that's among those contenders, and I'm not talking about the, the teams at the top. I think Colorado, I've felt all season long, Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas are the three that to me look different in the West. And all the rest of the teams, I look at them, they all have flaws. You wouldn't be surprised if any of them ripped off five in a row. You wouldn't be surprised if any of them dropped five in a row. I just, I just don't think that the, the core, that bunch of teams in the middle in the West are any different, significantly different than what we're looking at every night with the Minnesota Wild. I do think that goaltending is the one issue that could uh, potentially um, uh, doom the Colorado Avalanche, and they are the team that are chasing the St. Louis Blues right now for the top of the division so if the wild could get that a spot you could potentially play colorado if they get the seventh spot you could potentially play vegas um who the wild and usually the wild play well played, against they've played those teams well this yeah. year i mean they they really have they've played really well against the best they've got a i think it's an 11 6 and 1 record against the the top eight teams in the western conference right now and i'd have to check to update that we used that a couple games ago on on our broadcast and yeah, i mean that that's that's impressive, and yeah. it tells you that it, that where they've just they've not taken enough advantage of the games that you know for as much as you can say it in the National Hockey League, the games you should win, the teams you should beat, they've just let a few too many of those get away. We're talking with Anthony Lapanta. This is the Straight from the Source uh, podcast on the Athletic, and anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, um, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to the Straight from the Source or follow the Straight from the Source uh, podcast. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, uh, please go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. That will get you in 40% off a new subscription for the first year. It also gives you a free trial, so you can actually look at that um, as well. Let's talk about some of the uh, non-moves and the moves of the last couple of weeks. Let's start with the Jason Zucker trade. Um, I think we all expected that at some point Jason Zucker was going to be gone. His name has been in trade talks for uh, more than a year, dating back to the previous general manager, Paul Fenton. Um, that continued all year long. The Pittsburgh Penguins were the one team that the that the Wild were talking to really all year. Uh, one, Billy Guerin knows that team like the back of his hand just because he worked there. But two, he was on the other side last year when, they, when the Penguins tried to get Jason Zucker in the Phil Kessel trade, but Phil wouldn't waive his no-trade clause. So now he goes there. Bill uh, Guerin was patient, which was impressive with Jim Rutherford all year long and was able to parlay this into a uh, first-round pick, a top prospect in Callan Addison, which by all accounts is uh, was the Penguins' top, top prospect. And then Alex Galchenyuk, who's starting to fit in here, and he's getting a look at center, which uh, to me, if it was going to be the only way he would have a chance to be re-signed to this organization just because of the team's lack of dearth at center. So what do you think of that trade so far? I think it's a tremendous trade for Minnesota, and it's so, it's so interesting. And I've talked to Billy Guerin about this a couple of times, and I mean, you were on the other side of the negotiations when they started. It's you know, crazy. It just doesn't happen very often. And so, I mean, think about, you know, I mean, I've never sat in one of those rooms, but through a couple of conversations, you know, a lot of times you've got a player you're targeting and you sit in your room and you say, okay, guys, what's the best deal we're willing to give for this guy? Well, so Billy's been in on that discussion. He knows what his what the Penguins are thinking and what they're how desperately they want Jason Zucker exactly what they're willing to give up. So now he comes here and he's like, well, why take anything less than what I know their best offer is going to be? Then you throw in the fact that when anytime you start talking about prospects, there's a degree of the unknown. But he knew exactly what he was getting in that prospect because 
he knew exactly wh how they valued him. He, he knew their organization probably better than any organization in the league, including his own current organization. So got the player he wanted, got the pick he wanted. I think it's a, it, you know, it's as good a trade as he could have possibly negotiated, and your, the patience was impressive. He told the story the other day. He said, I had had the job for about a week in Minnesota, and yeah. Jimmy Rutherford called me and said, hey, what are you thinking you're going to do with Jason Zucker? And he said, how about just, you know. Let me find an apartment. Let, let me find a place to live. Let me at least talk to the player first before we start getting into this. But And, and it sound, looks like it's been a great fit for Jason, too. I mean, he, he's fit in well there. Pittsburgh got, it's, it's a trade that, is probably a, a really good deal for both clubs involved, and so I, I thought that was a great move for Billy. And he, you know, when he talked, when people asked him about making no moves at the deadline, he said, you know, we were, we did make a deal at the deadline. We just made it a week before the deadline, and you know, that was kind of our big move was to deal Jason Zucker. And I love the fact that you know, he just said, look, we didn't want to make a deal just for the sake of making a deal. The the deals that were out there we didn't think were the right deal for us thought we could get better deals potentially in the summer so let's not pull the trigger right now the um by the way the athletic has uh, podcasts everywhere not just this one uh one of my favorite ones is uh is uh front and nationwide with aaron portsline and allison lucan uh the wild play the columbus blue jackets coming up here on uh friday night they just play them the other night so if you want to listen to that podcast and learn more about the the uh the injury decimated uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and uh, John Tortorella's bunch there. Uh, you can listen to that podcast as well. It's an outstanding one. Uh, Anthony, let's talk about uh, the trade deadline, and then I do want to talk to you about the Bruce Boudreaux firing, but the trade deadline did come and go. It was an interesting uh, day, let's put it this way, and it is funny because the Parisi um, potential move I had been talking to you about for probably three or four days because I was on it. Uh, it it's amazing that how this thing fell apart. Uh, first of all, it was denied up and down to me for three or four days, which just shows you how much everybody is afraid of Lou Lamorello and the fact that this would get out and potentially uh, uh, un unravel things. Then, uh, in an awkward scenario, it gets out while Zach Parisi is practicing with the Wild on Monday. And from what I can tell, a lot of things happened there. Um, one, uh, on the day or a day after that Zach Parisi was, uh, waived his no-move clause to go to the Islanders, uh, Derek Broussard breaks his jaw. So now all of a sudden the New York Islanders have to get a, a center. So now they are looking around the league looking for a center. Coincidentally, they went to the Wild and asked about Miko Koivu. Miko Koivu wouldn't waive his no-move clause. Then on the day of the trade deadline, they go and get Peugeot from Ottawa. In that trade, they trade their first-round pick. I believe that first-round pick was coming to the Wild in the Parisi deal. So now suddenly the asset the Wild thought they were getting with Andrew Ladd's gone. So now that put a wrinkle in to last-minute negotiations. And then the other thing there is that if you look at their Islanders' cap situation, my guess is, is that they came to the Wild and asked them to retain more money of Zach Parisi's contract. And I think that when Bill Guerin just crunched everything, he just decided that he wasn't comfortable with this. Because when I look at the timestamps on my phone, 51 minutes before the trade deadline at 2 p.m., this trade was still on. And then something happened in those last 50 minutes where the Wild backed out of the deal. Is The way that I've dissected it since... So when you come back to it, I mean, first of all, do you do you think that the one thing that Billy Guerin hasn't explained, and I couldn't believe how transparent he was, is what he was trying to achieve in this type of thing, in this type of deal. I mean, do you think this was just his way of trying to appease a player that maybe wanted to go somewhere where he was comfortable and thought he could could potentially win, but also 
free up a contract that does inhibit them a bit for the next five years and get this team younger, create a roster spot for other other potential wingers in this organization. And there had to be multiple reasons that he was even willing to entertain this. Yeah, I, I would guess both of those to be true, that I think he probably had a player that had said, look, I wouldn't mind going, and, and he's looking. But it, Billy's looking at one thing, and that's what makes the Minnesota Wild a better team. So the deal isn't going to be made just to appease Zach Parisi, the, assuming that Zach was interested in leaving. He's looking at the deal as, does it make the Minnesota Wild better? And I think there was some cash involved or salary retention involved. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't really know about the timeline that, that you described about whether or not you know there were other deals. But th- what's unfortunate about this one is, I mean, and you know this, there were probably a thousand deals discussed that day around the league. And 29 trades got made on deadline day. So that means you're probably, t- you're hundreds and hundreds of trades that were discussed. And it's just unfortunate for players involved when they become public before they're finalized because it creates an awkward situation for everybody involved. And no doubt it made things awkward for Zach Parisi the next day because now you've got players inside your locker room that know, or at least think they know, that you waived your no-trade clause, were willing to go, maybe even expressed a desire to go, and now you walk back in there and, and you have to go on as life is normal with your current teammates. And so that's an awkward spot for anybody. And in this case, I think there's no question that the trade was close and it fell through. So, you know, I know there were other ones that were on the table involving Minnesota right up toward the deadline that fell through. And some of them, I'm sure the Wild were the ones who said no. Some of them were the other side saying no. This one just happened to get out and it's it creates an awkward situation. But I believe that the only reason Billy Guerin would have made that trade is if he felt it made the Wild better this year and into the future. And so, you know, if a, if another pick coming back was the key for Minnesota, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. This is considered to be one of the deepest drafts in recent years, and I think Billy wanted to accumulate a couple of extra picks. He's got two number ones. Wild will have two picks in the first round, barring another trade for the first time in almost a decade. And, you know, I'm, if he could grab another one, I'm sure he will between now and draft day. The, uh, the uh, It's funny, I just saw Zach Parisi downstairs having fun chatting with Brian Ralston, the former Wild player. Um, they have a lot of respect for each other from their from uh, their times with the New Jersey Devils as well. Um, it's, it's funny uh, just seeing Zach right now because I do think that he is at peace with what happened. I mean, this was not him wanting to leave Minnesota for anywhere. This was a certain circumstance where he was going to a place where a general manager is there that he has immense respect for from the time that they spent together with the Devils. And this was a situation where, where you know, I think they probably tugged at his heartstrings because his dad played for the Islanders as well. Um, so it's just an interesting scenario that it was even uh, talked about and agreed to by the Wild, and we'll see if it uh, we'll see if it is revisited this summer as well. Um, this is the Straight from the Source podcast. Uh, oh, great! We have an audience now. The obnoxious Dan Myers and Kevin Gorg right behind us uh, watching. You want to you want to come on our Europe trip? No, thank you. I don't want them to come on our Europe trip. <laughs> do I do I get a vote? <laughs> yeah. Right. Tell everybody about our Europe trip, Anthony. Well, the Europe trip will be great. We can promise you that these two chuckleheads behind us will not be on the trip. <laughs> Kevin's got some buttered popcorn to lick off the bottom of the barrel instead, so he'll be busy. Like yeah, got, got to see a movie. But, no, it's a great trip. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be awesome. Everywhere we've 
we've talked about this before, but everybody we talked to has raved about the cities on the tour, Vienna, Budapest. Uh, it just sounds like it's going to be tremendous, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've never been there before. so Prague as well. Yeah, and we're the apparently a river tour at night that Lou Nanny told us is one of the most beautiful uh, landscapes and sight lines that he's ever seen. This guy's been everywhere in the world. So if he if he gives it a thumbs up, I'm on board. And yeah, give us a shot. These trips have been awesome. The Michael Kenny with the Fine Destinations does an awesome job planning it and organizing it. And we've met some great people and had some great times. And you'll have a blast. I can promise you that. Yeah, defineddestinations.com if you want to go to it, defineddestinations.com. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the, the trade deadline. Uh, the, the big stuff going into the trade deadline was obviously Brodine and Dumba and their names potentially uh, in talks. And I don't think there's any doubt that at least there were talks. I don't know how close it was gotten. The Wild did have immense interest in Vincent Trocek. Uh, Jonas Brodine absolutely would have been uh, the price that would have been paid. But the Wild wanted a lot more than just Trocek if they were going to give up Brodine. So we'll see... Uh, you know, there was no rush or pressure for Billy Guerin to trade either one of them. Those two do, though, have probably the ability to get this team a number one or two center. So I do think this will be revisited this summer. There's a lot of times when you go into these trade things, that at the minimum, you find out what other teams have interest and what the possible returns could be. And usually around the draft is when potentially those moves can be made. We'll see. I mean, I, I still think the strength of this club and the reason why this club is, you know, Billy Guerin says he expects it to be a, a fast turnaround and a fast, not, he doesn't want to call it a rebuild because it's not really a rebuild. It's just he believes they can contend in very short time. And a big reason for that is the strength on the blue line for this team. So sometimes you have to be able to deal from strength to acquire what you need. But, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a given that either one of those guys will be dealt. I mean, right now, you're looking at night and in fact what's interesting I was talking to Dean Evison the other day about some minor changes he's made in the the way they're attacking and he just said look we feel our top five defensemen are among the best three or four sets in the league and we want them to we're going to lean on them we want them to that's the core of the team we want them to be a big part of the attack we need them to be involved offensively and so if you start to look at a team and you say all right well Let's try to win with our strength, and the strength is that defensive core. I don't, I don't doubt for a minute that there were discussions involving those players, but I also don't think it's necessarily a given that one of them will be dealt this summer. We'll have to wait to see. Yeah, I think the big thing here, though, is that they do have to figure out something going into the expansion draft next summer because Spurgeon and Suter are going to have to be protected if they go the 7-4-3-D seven, seven route. And so I think that's one of the things in Billy Guerin's mind is that if he can try to parlay uh, Dumbo or Brodine into something that is a significance and a need in terms of a center, I think he'd at least consider it so he doesn't have to do what Chuck Fletcher did and potentially make a deal with Seattle and give up a prospect to keep uh, both his defensemen. But you're right. I mean, that, that is he, – he likes both defensemen. He especially doesn't want to give up Brodine. But the other thing with Brodian that they've got to figure out, and this is where they're going to have to get proactive and start talking to his agent, is what will he command on a contract extension? If he, he you know, the one thing he's an, a marvelous defender, but he doesn't produce a lot of points, Anthony. And, and as much as he helps his team get out of the zone, you know, those defensemen usually don't make six, six and a half million. And if that's what he's going to command or can get on the open market or think he can get here, you know, Billy's going to have to decide in his salary structure uh, if he's going to be able to stomach that on a long-term deal. If you can get him into the fives, I think that's a no-brainer to re-sign him. Yeah, I agree with that. I he, I think he's just such an underrated 
piece. And I think you're right. I mean, the guys that don't produce offense, it's hard to commit that amount of money to. But I just think he's such a almost an irreplaceable guy on your blue line with how efficient he is defensively. And I think what's going to be interesting, and I'm you know we'll see. I think my guess would be in this next expansion draft that you'll see very few teams parting with multiple pieces like teams did in the Vegas situation. I think a lot of GMs are just going to look at it and say, you know what, we're going to lose a good player, so is everybody else, and we're just going to live with it. I, I think you'll see fewer and fewer teams saying, hey, we'll throw in a prospect or throw in a pick to try to go one deeper on our protected list, essentially. I, I just I think teams are going to learn from how Vegas took advantage of a lot of teams in that way, and I, I think you're going to see fewer and fewer clubs willing to part with a second piece. Uh, before we move on, I just want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on at The Athletic. The Athletic is home of 400 of the best sports writers out there covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Uh, our hockey coverage during the uh, trade deadline was absolutely second to none. I mean, we probably had 100 articles out there. Uh, Pierre Lebrun breaking news, Scott Burnside and Craig Custance uh, grading things after the fact and before things as well. Um, and then all the beat writers in the league uh, really analyzing their clubs. So simply put, we have the best sports newsroom on the planet. But if you don't have to take my word for it, you can see for yourself by signing up for the for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash straight from the source to save 40% off on an annual subscription. That works out to $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash straight from the source to save 40% off. Um, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, that, was the, that was the surprising news of the month. I think we were all expecting the Jason Zucker trade. I think some of us were expecting the Parisi potential news. Um, but I think that a lot of us were shocked at just the timing of the Bruce Boudreaux trade, just from the standpoint that when he survives seven other tenuous circumstances throughout the year, you know, the three and seven start, as you talked about at the beginning of the podcast, um, you know, Christmas time and, and, and some struggling, uh, obviously the blowout in Pittsburgh where he had the lineup snafu, the, the, the meltdown against Florida, the game after the bye against Dallas. I think those were the times you expect the potential coaching change, um, not with the team seven, three and one in the last 11 um, and before a big road trip. So, you know, I guess can you analyze uh, maybe the decision-making, the timing, and things like that? Well, I think, the, I think you're right. The timing, the timing was mildly surprising, only in that, I mean, I thought really very early in the season, it, I thought it was evident that Bruce Boudreaux was not Billy's type of guy and was un very unlikely to be the coach of this team beyond this season. It, that was just, I hadn't talked to Billy about it. It just kind of got the sense of that. And I've, I've really loved how Bill Guerin has approached all of this, where it's, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to evaluate and I'm going to give everybody in the organization the opportunity to prove if and where they fit in our future plans. And I think Boudreaux was included in that, where he, he gave him a long time to, he wanted to evaluate him, he wanted to watch everything he did from on and off the ice, running practices, running meetings, the, the way the team performed, the way, they, the way the bench was managed, all of it. I think it's all a part of it. And the timing was a little surprising. I really thought once we got through the All-Star break in the bye week and he didn't make a move at that time, I just, again, I hadn't talked to Billy about it. I just thought, well, he's probably decided just to finish the season and then evaluate at that time. But, you know, I, I also think he's got an idea in his mind what this organization should look like. 
and that goes in everything from what happens in the arena to what happens at practice to the way the guys dress on the charter to the everything he's got an idea in his mind Wes Walls put it really well I thought when we were talking the day after the Jason Zucker trade on our pregame show and he said Billy Guerin has won he's won cups as a player he's won cups as a front office guy he knows what it looks like he knows what it feels like he knows what it smells like and he's looking at this team and he knows that there are some things that have to change and you know so he's going to start to make moves he talked I talked to him the other day and he just said I I got to have a coach that sees things the same way I do that and he was talking about the future coaching search and just said I got to find a guy who shares my vision for how the game should be played how a team should be run and he said then once I get him here then I'm going to get out of the way and let him do his thing and I just think that that was not Bruce Boudreaux and I think Bruce will probably land another job somewhere. He's had tremendous success as a coach in this league, and there will probably be another organization for whom he's the right fit. But I just don't think that Bill Guerin saw him as the right fit here, and so it didn't. The move did not surprise me at all. The timing of it surprised me a little bit. Forty percent of Western Conference coaches have lost their job this year. Yeah, it's a third of the that, league. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Um, do you feel like? Um, like I guess in professional sports, why do you think it happens so often? Other than the obvious that owners don't want to pay off a coach to leave, but almost to a man, every single time a new GM comes in that inherits a coach, he he keeps the coach for a year and then he gets rid of the coach and hires his own guy. Why do they just not do it at the very beginning? Well, you know, I'm I'm not sure about that, but I do think that in order to succeed. In any, in any of the major professional sports, you have to have a coach or manager that's on the same page as the general manager of the club. You have to have a shared vision. And it's very rare that when you come in as the general manager that the guy who just happened to be there is that guy. I mean, just think of what the odds are that, that it's just they're astronomical against and we've seen it in this market I mean just look recently with the the Minnesota Twins they changed their their hierarchy and you know they had Paul Molitor who is a tremendous manager but he didn't see the game the same way that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine did so they wanted to bring in their own guy and and they bring in Rocco Baldelli and now those now they're more in lockstep and it doesn't mean Paul Molitor can't manage in the major leagues but it just means he didn't see things the same way they did. And that's what I'm saying. It doesn't mean Bruce Boudreaux can't coach in the National Hockey League. He has and he will. But Bill Guerin sees things a little differently, and you know he's going to bring in a guy that sees it the same way, that evaluates players the same way, that manages the game the same way, that demands the same thing of his players the same way, that, that works the same way. It's just that it neither way is necessarily right or wrong but he's the guy in charge now so it's going to be his way and I've just loved his approach I I love his line that he's used a few times that look we're not here to play we're not we don't get paid to play we get paid to win and it's that simple and anything less than that means you're not the right guy for the job whether you're the coach the video guy the trainer or the player we're here to win and it's that simple and we're here to put team in front of individual and if you're not willing to do that you're not the right guy and I just I love that the simple demanding approach 
It is really interesting uh, just to try to figure out who the next coach of the Wild could be, and I'll be doing a a big kind of charticle on that here in the next couple of weeks on the potential candidates out there. Obviously some good ones out there right now. Uh, successful former coaches in the league and Peter Laviolette and Gerard Gallant and, and Mike Babcock. And then there's, uh, you know, Tim Army, who's just done a fabulous job in Iowa. There's Dean Evison if this team gets in the playoffs. And uh, he's obviously going to be a candidate. Mike Volucci is somebody that they hired in Wilkes-Barre. Um, Jim Rutherford, he had a history with Jim Rutherford in Charlotte. They brought him up to Wilkes-Barre. Uh, when when Billy Guerin was the GM, and then coincidentally, uh, Billy left from Minnesota, so they never really got a chance to work together, but I know there's a lot of respect there. Um, A lot of really quality assistant coaches in the NHL. It just will be interesting to see where Bill Guerin goes with this. Yeah, and I think think you hit a couple cross-sections there that my guess is that Bill, I know he's got a lot of names in mind already, no doubt, but what I believe we'll see is a search that taps into a few of those cross sections and wants to visit with and see who shares the vision among experienced NHL coaches. I think we'll see a couple of the, you know, we're going to see the two best. A couple guys coming out of the college ranks, mm-hmm. perhaps. I want to talk to two of the best and just see. A couple guys that, you know, maybe are minor league coaches that haven't had their first crack in the NHL yet, NHL assistants that I think you're going to see him tab. I want to talk to the best two from each of these areas, mm-hmm. maybe more than that, but it, you know that we're going to get down the road with that and really see. I mean, I, I asked him the other day if there was a how much of his decision would be based on his current roster and what this team needs as a coach, and he said almost none. He said I just I'm looking at it for I need a guy that shares my vision, and then if the players don't jive with that, then we'll get new players. And, and I, so I, I don't think there's a, sometimes you, you know, we look at it from the outside and say, well, this kind of team could thrive with a young coach or this kind of team needs a veteran coach, a proven coach. I don't think that's even at all a factor for him. I think it's going to be, I want to find my guy and then we'll deal with the, the roster and making sure the roster sees it the same way that the coach and I do or else the roster will change. Three college coaches that might have a real opportunity to at least sit down with Billy Guerin or Tony Granato, who he has a history with um, at Wisconsin, uh, Mike Hastings, and Scott Sandlin. And another name that you're going to see a gazillion times that I've written since August is Doug Wade. I really genuinely believe, though, that Doug Wade makes more sense to work in the front office. I do think he's going to come here in some capacity. Uh, I think as coach, I don't know if you're going to want to hire your best friend to coach the team, somebody that one day you might have to say you're no longer the coach. Yeah, that would be an awkward situation. Yes, it would definitely it? So be awkward. I, I don't. I really. I have. I don't know. And you know. And, and Billy is a. He's a pretty close to the vest guy with that stuff. But he just said, "Yep, we're already building a list. We have a. We have a list I like." And and I. I just think it's. I think he's going to talk to anybody or everybody that's that's out there. And and I. I just. I, I don't know. I just. I have this. I have a, a high degree of trust for the fact that. He's got an idea of where this organization is going and that it's going to work. Do you, um, just real quick, and then I want to just ask you about Kevin Fiala, but just real quick, um, uh, Evison, it's pretty interesting to watch just his involvement here in the last, his comfort level in the last week and a half since taking over the team. Uh, I'll be quite honest, I thought his first press conference, he looked shell shocked, uh, a little, uh, didn't, you know, didn't, some nonsensical things. I think it was just, you know, nerve-wracking all of a sudden you go from Milwaukee's coach as the head coach where you're uh probably not talking to too many writers to a press conference after your first after you're shut out 
against the San Jose Sharks, but it's just gotten he's gotten progressively better in front of the media as well. And then obviously the team is playing really, really hard for him. Yeah, and I think it's a great opportunity for him to come in here and audition for for twenty plus games. You know, I mean it's you've got a chance to you know, whether you feel like right now you were a legitimate candidate into next year or not, why not? Go out here and and manage the club and make a run in the in the second half and make it difficult to leave your name off that serious candidate list. And everywhere we've gone, it's really been, you know, I've learned a lot more about Dean Evison's playing days over <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Every city, every Well, you read it in the athletic. Right, yeah, I, that's right. i got to write down that password I used to have. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Everywhere we've gone, there's been somebody on the other side that used to play with him, and they've had just unbelievably positive things to say about what kind of a teammate he was, what kind of a competitor he was, what kind of a guy he was. He's intense. Uh, I think the practices have felt different. The, you know, he's talked about the, the lack of any sag or dip on the bench when things haven't gone well for this club. I, I just think he's he's one of those guys that has an idea of the way the game should be played, and it's a, a absolute full out effort, energy. He's talked about accountability, and you know I, I think it's been interesting to watch. And and some of the players have have commented on that that you know he's intense, and but he's he's also a he's been a better communicator than I think maybe any of us would have known. How would we have known? He hadn't been the head coach, but we've just seen more and more of that. Guys have said, you know what, you know exactly where you stand with him, good or bad. He's going to make certain that you know what he's thinking of the way of your performance. The uh, wild morning skate is about to begin, so we're going to wrap up the podcast here. Uh, I have a feeling that I'm going to be that both you and I, but probably more me, will be uh, a target of some of these shots because we're right behind Devin Dubnik's uh, cage right now. Um, but I do want to ask you one last question, um, and I got a funny uh, text message from a friend of mine named Tom. Used to be Tommy, but then he became a professional. Um, that said, what's it like covering a team whose star player is Kevin Fiala? And while it made me laugh when I read the text, um, it, it is. Uh, an interesting question. Are, do you think we are watching the development of a star, a legitimate star in Kevin Fiala, or is this just going to be somebody that's going to be a, a really quality player that's going to score you know, some big goals in his career, but maybe we'll have the inconsistency issues that we'll never see him reach top, top, top elite level? Uh, well, that's the question: is can he do the? Can he reach that consistent level? Because he has star skills, and what we're watching is. A player who has the ability to change a game and he has some electric offensive skill his hands are unbelievable he's he's playing at a pace right now that last year we never saw and he's two points away from being this team's leading scorer right now so I think the only thing that could prevent him from being a star and I mean I guess you know you'd have to decide what the definition of a star is but we're looking at a guy that if he can if consistency can become a part of it, he's going to be a special player. And I, I mean, I think there's no question we're looking at a at a 30 goal scorer type player. And to, to me, if you're going to label him a star, then he's a guy that potentially approaches 40. And I don't know if I think it's early to say that, but it's not too early to say we're looking at a guy that is going to be a he's going to be an elite scorer in the National Hockey League. Nothing cooler than listening to the uh, the cool clanking of pucks uh, almost hitting your head here so uh, we're going to wrap it up um, next podcast uh, will be a week uh, it'll be next Wednesday 
Um, the plan right now is to have Tim Army, the Iowa coach, on. Uh, the Wild, coincidentally, are in San Jose on next Thursday. I land at noon on Wednesday. I'm going to go right to the Iowa Wilds Hotel uh, where they're playing the Barracuda that night and uh, sit down with Tim Army. I'll ask him two questions. Podcast will probably go two hours. So um, thanks for listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Again, to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. You can hit the URL probably right on this podcast. Please rate and follow uh, Straight from the Source as well. Thanks, Anthony. Anytime. Anytime.